AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It. Cut To It. Let's get down to it. Cut To It. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. I was eating some corn chips. I didn't want to smack it in your mouth. I was smack. That's all right. I've had worse. Smitty, good brother. We are wrapping up 2020, heading to 2021. What's on your plate? What's your resolution? Resolution? Man, I can't wait to get the hell out of 2020. <laughs> you know what I dislike about 2020? Um, how much time you got? No, I, oh, wow, that's a pretty good one right there. You know what? I, I I dislike when folks you go, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just doing great. Mm. Stop lying. Why? Why they gotta be a lie? It, bro, look backwards. It, I mean, has, it sucked. Thank you, but, hit, but uh, I'm cool with the. It, it sucked. sucked. No, I'm there's cool no, the there's no doubt about it. But. I just I I don't I dislike the people who try to make everything. Oh, it's great. Just yeah. be you're no, blessed. You gotta acknowledge you gotta acknowledge that it sucks. You're right? blessed and highly favored. Yeah. I am, but damn it, man. <laughs> it still sucks. No, I definitely get that. No, it like twenty twenty is it's been difficult. But did you not learn anything about oh, yourself? Oh, I learned or, a ton. Well then that's it. There's there's your butt. There's I your learned a ton, yeah. but let's quit faking the funk, yeah. folks. <laughs> Like, oh, it's been great. Really, it has. Don't don't, huh? don't swim in your twenty twenty misery. Too I'm not long. swimming. In it. I'm just saying, just be forthright with your truth. Be tr- be transparent. Mm-hmm. Like, quit saying, oh, everything's great. <laughs> Everything is not great. <laughs> Stop lying. At some point yeah. throughout twenty twenty, we you were, had some sort of a mishap. Everyone yeah, did. Everyone had. We everyone were had something. In the house. To, yeah, everyone had. We something were locked to in the house, so yeah. you, we yeah. had we had to wear masks. Like. Yep. 
Just yep. be honest. Don't. Right. Oh, it's great. It's but so there's pleasant. good things that Perfect came favorite. out. But there are also good things that came out of it's 2020, right? This podcast being one. Cut to it. It's right? been outstanding. Things. Absolutely. I've enjoyed and it's allowed me to recognize some right. things. But it also is like I really like talking to people who aren't, I don't want to say phony, but just stop like, stop, stop acting like. You can be both. You can. Be can. You can I, be both. That's you fine. can acknowledge that it sucked, but you can also, I think also, I, I get the other side I, of I don't want too. it to be all negative, but don't, you know, don't act like, like, um, I talked to somebody and I was like, bro, how you doing? He's like, man, I'm great. Yeah. I'm like, really? Right. He's like, oh, I'm fantastic, bro. Couldn't never, I could never. Why is it hard for you to believe that someone could be doing great? Awkward silence. That's called, that's called dead air. No, I'm, (laughs) it's not that you can't be great, but the individual I was talking to, Mm -hmm. we were talking because he texted me saying that he wanted to talk. Oh. Hey, bro, I got to run something by, uh, you know, struggling with some stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, how are you? I'm doing great. <laughs> that ain't what you just texted me about. I'm like, I'm like yeah. we ain't great. Uh-huh. We, you text me. Yeah. And so just a little bit of like, you can't hit the text of I'm struggling. And then I ask, hey, what's going on? Man, I'm good. I'm straight. <laughs> All right, so 2020 sucked. Yeah. What are you looking forward to in 2021? Man, I'm looking forward to, there's so many things that I discovered about myself that, um, it's made me very intrigued uh, trying to stay away from the negative in regards to, and I say negative where, um, you know, I, I'm on Cameo, and so I get a lot of people talking about, oh, man, I need you to roast my guy, and cur- you can curse him out, too, and swear, it's fine. Cameo's an app where you yeah. can... Yeah, so Cameo's an app where people pay and ask you to do a personalized message. Yep. And there's been some messages, like, I really enjoy doing them. I, it, it's made me really change my perspective on how I see things. Mm-hmm. But then it's also some people, I've been like, I've been declining some of the requests because I'm like, I don't want to really put down someone. Yeah. And like, you're, because you're quote unquote paying me. Right, so just because I'm getting paid doesn't mean I should. That means, means that like, you want me to put, like, I'm like, who wants to be, who wants to see a video message from somebody they may Endure, look to, like yeah. look up to, like, or it may be a that's, that's disparaging them, cussing them out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you suck, Roblox. Like, yeah. No. Like, and I've hit so many declines that guys are really like, oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like, you really? Get, I'm like, bro, like, I get it. Right. 2020 has been such a trying time. Who wants some more bad news? Yeah. I don't. I really don't. Yeah. The bad news meter has definitely been reached and extended. Man. I just don't. I, I want to really enjoy. I want to hit into 2020, not with aspirations that are unobtainable, but aspirations of like I really want to refresh. Mm. So for me is the folks that are negative drainers in my life. I'm leaving you in 2020. Mm, that's good. 2021. I have no room for you. Because it does weigh on you, right? Oh, and it, it's and it, it'll, bring, it'll bring your whole energy level down. If someone operates in negativity or fear or all of those different things, man, that stuff wears on you over time. I just want to be around people. And I'm not saying I'm the most positive person. I, I know I have my, I could be a Debbie Downer. I can be that at times. I have that, I have that strong gene of being like, just like, mm-hmm, I'm good. We all got a flaws. Yeah. 
Here's 21. something I'm going into 2021 with, and you're going to hear it, our new tagline at the end of every single podcast we do. And I believe this, and, and I want to emphasize it, and I want to push it. So I was reading some of my, my, my daily reading, and it was something that was really intriguing, and it really hit me. Uh, it was actually December 4th. And why is it important? Because it was something that, until this moment, at 41 years old, what we all experienced in 2020 is something that really was compelling, and it says this. I am unique. There is only one person like me. I am worthwhile, competent, and lovable. Hmm. And ever since I read that, I've been repeating that at least once a day, after once a day moving forward, because for me to hear that, that I am worthwhile, and this word right here, competent, Hmm. because a lot of times, I don't know, maybe it's just athletes, but a lot of times athletes get deemed as dumb jocks. And I think that word competent because we can be on television, we can say how we feel, or t- at times get intimidated by the red dot on the record of, of, of being an analyst. And sometimes you have so many seconds. You know, you have a two-minute segment. There's four people, so everybody has their 30 seconds each to talk. And you're sometimes grasping for words to say and be impactful. And sometimes you fumble over your words, especially if a guy like me. Um and that word competent, just to use it as I am unique, I am worthwhile, I'm competent, and lovable. I thought that was really cool, and it's something I've just been holding on to. And so I I, I, I like that, and I'm going to hold on to it. That's cool. Something I picked up in 2020 that I'm going to drag, pull. <laughs> pull across that finish line? The, the start line. 2021 oh, is a start line, personally for me, hmm. as going in there and say I'm competent, and lovable, because a lot of times we don't feel like we're lovable, especially what what everybody has gone through, mm. especially how um, everything with the presidency, the virus, uh, whether it's Black Lives, whether it's um, you know defunding the police, police brutality, all of those things. I think sometimes we have forgotten that lovable part. Oh man, I hundred I hundred percent agree on that. So. You're unique too, and I and I love you for no, it. I appreciate that. So I try to be. You are, and not, and not saying it like in a kind no, of no. I know way. what you mean. Yeah. No. So, you know, if if you know some people, and also too, the last thing, make sure in 2021, you check in with some folks, mm-hmm. see how they doing, how they really doing. Yes, not I, just the, not don't the say surface love. Don't say how you doing. What I've been texting guys, how's your mental? Mm-hmm. Yep. It just makes me think of one of our last episodes, Sam Acho. And he talked about how even in locker rooms, you can walk by somebody and just say, hey, how you doing? How you doing, Steve? How you doing, Joe? And you always give that, I'm good. Much like you just said before, I'm good. How are you really? Because we're good at putting on that front foot on that facade. Like, how are you really doing? And going out of your way to check on someone. I think that's super important. Well, he said that guys will ask, and a guy may not even respond, but right. he just keeps going just keep because going. it's programmed in you. Yep. Let me act like I really care, but I really mm-hmm. don't because I got so much other stuff yep. going on. Yeah, to really stop, pause, live in it. No, yeah. that's really good. That's really good. Yep. So who we got next? Coming up on the Cut To It podcast, we've got Jay Billis, an NCAA analyst for ESPN, 
former player and assistant coach for Duke University and the author of the book Toughness. Jay Billis on the Cut To It podcast. Our first segment, we call it Get Iced Up, our version of Icebreakers. There's questions that are selected at random by Smitty himself. There may or may not be a follow-up. Have no clue. Smitty, go ahead and give him the first one. All right, you ready? Ready to roll. All right, it's an open book test. It's about you. So if you fail, blame it on yourself. (laughs) (laughs) All right, the last book you read. The last book I read is called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. It's about how systemic racism is not uh, de facto, um, it's de jure, meaning it's built into our system of laws. Mm. And for people who don't want to acknowledge that systemic racism exists, uh, he uh, points toward, uh, you know, facts in in law that Mm. have established it beyond a reasonable doubt. It's, It's a great book. Would you suggest uh, me growing up as a black man? Should I read it? <laughs> I think everybody should read it, honestly. Okay. Uh, that and that and in uh, a book uh, called The New Jim Crow, which. Yeah, oh, I think, okay. okay. I'm writing that one down. I, I started that one. That's a good one. What do you say, Jay, when you get a gift that you don't like? So what, what are some pretend words would you use um, in saying thank you for this ugly ass gift that you received, I don't I don't mince words anymore at my age on, <laughs> on gifts. So I was born December twenty fourth, and uh, hmm. and I do not I do not do combo gifts anymore. Oh, I used to say thank you. I'm a, I'm a fellow December guy. I know how it goes. I'm like I combo gifts are not acceptable. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want any dad right gifts. Nope. I don't want any so- soap on a rope. I don't want any of that crap. <laughs> I want something good. I feel you on that combo. That thing gets me hot. Hey, is there a gift really soap on a rope? There used to be. I mean, when you're younger than me, but when I was a kid, there were all these Father's Day gifts that were, you know, like like for your dad, you, you soap on a rope used to be one. Yeah. And, you know, your dad, my dad used to say when, when it was his birthday or Christmas or whatever, we'd say, dad, what do you want? And he'd say, I don't want anything. And he said, why not? And he goes, because it's not going to be what I want and I have to pay for it. <laughs> What's the first thing you tweeted this morning? A Jeezy lyric from his uh, new album, Recession 2. Every day. Like, wh- Jay, where did that, Jay, where did your uh, love from young Jeezy come from? Well, I mean, I, I I listen to a lot of stuff. Jeezy's one of them. He happens to be one of my favorites, if not my my favorite uh, sort of hip hop rap artist. But it kind of started for me, honestly, when I was in high school. Uh, I was in high school. My freshman year of high school was 1978 and uh, 78, 79. And that was about that was about the time that the Sugar Hill Kang came out with Rapper's Delight. Uh-huh. And so my my. The te- my teammates on my basketball team, we sang that thing every day while we were doing conditioning work and all that. I still remember every damn word to it. Mm. And, you know, then then in, in college, you know, all my teammates listen to run DMC and you name it. And, and so, uh, you know, I gained a great appreciation for it as an art form. And then mm. about it's probably about 10 years ago, we were at Michigan State for college game day for ESPN. And Draymond Green was playing for Michigan State at the time, and he had a you know some big old headphones on, and 
one of our crew asked him on the air when he came by, what are you listening to? And he said, I'm listening to young Jeezy. So Hubert Davis, who was with us at the time, and now, you know, he's an assistant coach at North Carolina. He turned to me and he says, is that, is that on your iPod? Back then it was an iPod, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, oddly enough, it is. People didn't believe me. And so somehow it's almost become a, a myth now, but people were hitting me on Twitter saying, come on, man, you don't listen to Jeezy. And, and I said, yeah, I do. And I shot a couple lyrics out. And after going back and forth with a couple people, I really did. If I remember right, I really did have to go into my office. I had to go into work. And so I, I put, I put, you know, some lyric and I got to go to work and somehow it caught on and I wound up doing it every morning since then. So, so what was this morning's lyric? I don't even remember. I did it at like 6 a.m. Yeah. So I'd have to go, I'd have to go back and look. I, what I do now, because uh, I, I was always concerned when I started doing it, I was doing it off of what I was listening to. And then I was going, you know, I might not understand what I'm tweeting out here. I got to be a little careful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, cause, cause uh, I got to remember, like, you know, everybody says, remember where you're from. I grew up in Rolling Hills, California. You know, I, I, I grew up in a beach community. And so now what I do is I make sure I check every lyric, uh, as hmm. it's written. Yeah. And, you don't uh, get the hall I, pass for the slip up. Some of thug motivation. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I, I just I just make sure I, I get it. So I, I actually plan them out now. Before I used to do them, just when I got up, I'd I'd listen to something. Maybe I listened to something the day before, or had something I was thinking about, and, and then I wound up I wound up tweeting off the same album too much. I thought so. I started. I, I've actually planned it out a little better now. All right. Well, today's was ain't no retreat. I'm bouncing back on my feet. It's real in the field. You better buy you some cleats. I got to go to work. Nice. I love that one because of the cleats part. There you go. Yeah. Look at that. Was, that was strong. it up for you, man. Cleats. There you go. Who was your favorite team growing up? Any sport? The Dodgers. You know, growing up in L.A., I played baseball as a kid, and I loved the Dodgers. I was a big Laker fan, and the Rams, L.A. Rams were a big deal when I was a kid, uh, and, and loved all that, and then loved UCLA. Um, and, yeah, yeah, I was a front runner. I loved UCLA basketball and USC football. Mm. But uh, but I think the the longest kind of love affair I've had with any team has been the Dodgers, because I, I, I just to me, you know, going to Dodger Stadium during the summer with my friends, uh, one of my best friends, his parents had season tickets. So we used to go quite a bit when his parents didn't want to go. And back then I knew I mean, I knew who was playing in the Dodgers farm system and in, uh, in Albuquerque, man, I, I could tell you anything. I don't have the time for it anymore. But yeah. when the Dodgers won this year, I was I was pretty geeked up. Cool. Me too. Uh, Raul Mondesi. Yeah, that's all. Well, I can go. I go back way before that. I go back to like Don Sutton and Steve Garvey and Davy Lopes, Ron Say, all those guys back in the back in the seventies. And uh, uh, you know, my grandfather took me and my brother to the uh, uh, to the World Series in nineteen seventy four. I didn't know my head from my rear end back then, but it was uh, it was pretty damn cool. Mm. That's awesome. I yeah. I still have a Raul Mondesi jersey right now. Oh, yeah, you're a real Dodgers fan. Yeah, like like I I, I still have it in my in my jerseys cool. right now. That's so. bucket list for me. Go see a game in LA. I've seen them play before because I'm a Dodgers I, fan as well. That's, so that's bucket list for me. Go to LA and catch a game. So where we know where you're from, but where are you from in a place you call your hometown? My hometown is a place called, I was born in San Pedro, California, and then uh, grew up in a town called Rolling Hills, which is uh, not far from Torrance, Redondo Beach. Um, and then the other side, it was called the Hill. So the other side of the hill from where I grew up was Palos Verdes. So right now, um, 
people know kind of where I grew up from, uh, you know, the, that Trump golf course is there uh, on, on the water. And that's if you just if you leave the front gate of that golf course and go up over the hill, you'll run into my parents' house uh, mm-hmm. on the other side of the hill. We used to call it the poor side of the hill, but it was pretty nice. So San, San Pedro, you know, I grew up in L.A. And, and, and San Pedro at that time you were growing up. How has it changed in, in Rolling Hills? How has it changed today? Well, Rolling Hills has gone from being a an area where uh, a blue collar, you know, blue collar worker that had done well could live to now it's a wealthy zip code. Mm. And uh, uh, so it, it, that's changed a lot. And the people who who move in there, the, the folks that have been living there forever um, have been able to stay because of something called Proposition 13, which was a little bit before your time. But it was that was a it is still in effect now as a law, but it was something that uh, it froze your property taxes. So when my dad bought bought his house in Rolling Hills, he is paying the same property on the same tax basis that he bought the house. Wow. And the tax basis will only change. That's why California's bankrupt. The, the tax basis will only change when he sells it. So the new owner will take the tax hit on the value of the property. Uh, so in, in, in a lot of ways, uh, my parents can't afford to move. Um, it costs them a fortune to move. And uh, uh, so they've stayed there. San Pedro's changed. That's the port of Los Angeles. So my dad, before I was born, was a commercial fisherman and then became a, he got into the electronics business uh, after he got out of uh, the fishing business. And, uh, you know, just the demographics have changed um, as far as the, the makeup of the city, which has been a good thing. Um, but it was very ethnic at the time. Like my dad's from, uh, from, uh, Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia mm. and, uh, and his family. And so it was a heavy Yugoslav influence at the time. Uh, so it, it, those demographics have changed and it's a lot different now, but it's still a great community. And, and awesome. but the port of Los Angeles is gigantic now. I mean, it was big when I was a kid, it's huge. But you drive by there now it's huge. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's not, I don't want to say it's off-putting. But if you grow up out there, you're like, this is totally different now. I mean, all the containers and um, it, 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 the, the stuff that moves in and out of there, all the cars and, and uh, things that come in from all over the world, um, you know, it, it, it's really remarkable to see. We have to take a break. And more than anything, we got to pay some bills. Mm-hmm. You got checks. I love Cut To It. And I, I love it even more when you download us and subscribe and you can follow us on social media too smitty where where at that's at cut to it on instagram what about twitter at cut to it facebook cut to it featuring steve smith senior what about online and you can follow us at cut to it podcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts i got all my answers questions um I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cut to it, podcast.com. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Growing up in Rolling Hills near San Pedro, what, how did it shape your perspective on how you see the world today? Well, I mean, I think I grew up in a little bit of a bubble, honestly, where, you know, I went to, if it weren't for basketball, I think my, my view of things would be, would be colored differently. Um, basketball took me into so many areas of Southern California. I used to play you know, I used to go play pickup at Carson High School and at Narbonne and all these different places. Um, and, you know, so I got to know a lot of people that I wouldn't have gotten to know otherwise. And, and so it was it was great for me. And it was a, a sort of a world, you know, world worldly experience, I thought. Mm-hmm. And then and then it, it obviously took me all over the world. But um, I, I think when you when you grow up like the place I grew up is a is uh the peninsula jets out from uh from the coast a little bit so the truth was nobody went to my area unless they had a reason to be there it wasn't like a pass-through area so you you could get a little bit sheltered and basketball took that took me out of there because I played every weekend from fourth grade through high school every weekend I played out of town somewhere and during the week at night you you want to go get a game and so you'd go play pickup wherever there was a good pickup game. Uh, I mean, I was at Venice Beach playing outside or, um, you know, I mentioned we'd go to Carson High School, all these different places and play. And uh, and so I made a lot of friends doing that that have been friends to this day. Uh, so it, that that was what sort of opened my eyes to, to the way the world was more so than anything else about the area I grew up in. So who introduced you to basketball before you became this top 50 recruit averaging 24 and 14? 
my mother wanted me out of the house. So she had, when I was in third grade, she'd read something in the local paper about basketball tryouts for the local, you know, little bitty league. And so she took me up there and kind of pushed me out of the car and I tried out for the league and I thought, okay, well, the way it works is, you know, get to fourth grade, uh, you get picked on a team and you play for the little Lakers or whatever, the little Celtics and you play at your high school or you play at the local high school every Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I wound up making something called a conference team, which was uh, basically a travel team. So we played uh, 40, 50 games a year and we traveled for all of them. So we would play all over Southern California and we'd pile into the coach's car and, and one of the parents, they drive us to games and we played sometimes on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'd play in three different tournaments. And it got to the point where we would start a game with our full team. And in the second half, like at the end of the third quarter, um, half the team would go with one of the dads and go start the next game. And then when the guys finished, they'd hop in the next car and go meet them and finish the game. Uh, but we played, sometimes I'd play nine games in a weekend. And uh, uh, I played, you know, we, we all were team, you know, all our teammates, we wound up playing in high school together. So we played hundreds of, you know, a couple hundred games together before we ever got to high school. And so we knew each other really well and hung out and uh, every weekend. And, and that was really fun. I, I learned a lot about, about things just from doing that. And it was all just because, you know, I, I, my mom wanted me out. And, uh, and I, from the first time I dribbled a ball, I fell in love with it. And I played baseball too, but I didn't love baseball like I love basketball. Yeah. And that's sort of where it came from. And, and, and that was like, that was all my parents needed to keep me in line was if I ever did anything that got out of line, they were like, all right, you're not playing. And, and I was, I, I would do anything to, to keep playing. Uh, so I, I actually did what I was supposed to do just because I wanted to keep playing ball. Well, you said you lived in a bubble. So is it safe to say your perspective on all the different cultures that you experienced you're going into the different areas of Southern California it really helped you um, to where, you know, I, I mean, I find it interesting and I know you, but yet find it interesting knowing your playlist of, of rap music. Did that have to, did, did that start with the integrating of cultures and just hanging around. Diff- so cultured now. Yeah. To just hang around different, different kinds of people. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think it was more, I think the sort of the rap music thing was more, um, you know, things that were popular at the time that, that caught our fancy more than, more than anything. I mean, there's a, there's a big difference in appreciating black culture and understanding black America and what, you know, what uh, black Americans have gone through and are going through now. And I think that's, in my view, that's the biggest disconnect in the, in the conversation we're trying to have now, uh, where people sort of understand that, no, it's, it is not, systemic racism does exist. It doesn't mean that everybody is racist, but there are racist policies that we still live with and, and, and that shape our society. And, when, you know, I don't know, Steve, if you'll, you'll remember this, you were younger, but, or you are younger, but it, when I was a senior in, in college, um, I was a classmate of Len Bias, uh, that yeah, played I, at Maryland. Yeah, I remember uh, so, when that happened. So when Len Bias died, um, I think it was two days after that, 
a, a famous football player named Don Rogers died exactly the same way. And I, I played against uh, Don Rogers' brother, Reggie Rogers, uh, played basketball against him. He wound up going to the University of Washington, played in the NFL, too. He's a great, just a great athlete. So when Bias and Rogers both died of, of cocaine overdoses, that's when that's when Congress came up with uh, all of these federal sentencing guidelines. Yep. And what 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 people probably don't realize today is is so much of our prison population is made up of low level drug offenders. Yep. And they're they're predominantly African American, and th that goes back to sort of that that book, The Color of Law, like. That's a, th those are th those are issues of law. Those are not issues of people deciding to live in an area and self-selecting. That's not what that is. And I think have you know having people understand that that's a that's a hell of a lot different. Understanding that is a hell of a lot different than understanding, you know, and having an appreciation for what Jalen Rose likes to call people who love black culture. You know, so so it, it, appreciating hip hop and rap music, that that's that's nothing. Yeah. Um, that's a lot different than understanding the, um, the system we live in and how it is, it is slanted toward, uh, white America and slanted against, uh, minority America. And it's not, it's not just African-Americans, but it's predominantly. And, and it's, a uh, our, our unwillingness to have that conversation, uh, I think is, um, is the biggest hurdle we have to get over I believe, as a society, that we have to honestly have the conversation uh, rather than when there's an issue of police brutality, somebody asking the question of, well, how many, how many white people were killed by cotton? No, that's not the question. That, that's just not it. And, and uh, we're, we're having, a, I think we're having as a society a hard time of, of addressing that honestly and until we do, we're going to keep going in circles on this. I, I really believe that. Kudos to you, Jay, for yep. um, uh, acknowledging that and, and, and leading us towards the conversation, because that's the biggest part. Well, and that's the, when you say root cause, like I, I, I always try to look at when, when you're thinking about the end result and, and why are we getting this result? You have to go to the origins. And so what are the origins of these laws? What are the origins of of these issues and until we understand the origins of things we're not going to understand why we're getting the end result and so when there was recently uh some changes in the criminal justice system uh while you know you applaud the the changes one of the questions i had was well why aren't we letting out the low-level drug offenders that that were subject to these um uh, unjust laws in the first place like haven't they served more than their time and, and let's remedy those past wrongs in addition to, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. If we're gonna decriminalize it going forward, let's acknowledge that we made mistakes back in the eighties that have perpetuated to the day, to this day, and let's right those wrongs too. And, uh, and for some reason, we, we have an unwillingness to, to do that. And, you know, look, we have an industrial prison complex now that, you know, privatization. There are so many issues that go with it, but until we're willing to look at the origins of things that acknowledge uh, all of the systemic issues, then then we're we're going to continue to be arguing over, you know, some of these end result things. And and uh, and I get honestly, you know, you're, you're having tough conversations with your friends uh, over the last uh, several years, and uh, and you know, I'm I'm hopeful that you know, rather than people feeling defensive about it, like, I, I don't feel like just um, for myself, 
I don't feel like I need to feel guilty about things, but I need to feel responsible about the world we're living in. Yeah. And so, so accepting the responsibility for the ways, the way things are is the only way we're going to, we're going to take steps toward making positive change in the future. So, so I'm, you know, I don't think anybody is asking white America to feel guilty, but they're asking for responsibility to be accepted and to be understood so that we can, we can change. And, uh, and I don't see where that, there's anything wrong with that. I love this conversation and, and I want to take it a step further and really just talk about some of the things that you've done. You, you are an outstanding analyst, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a broadcaster for ESPN and, and just basketball. And obviously your knowledge of basketball uh, exceeds my uh, miniature knowledge of basketball, which is I am a true fan. I am, a, but I'm a fan of basketball in a way. I'm not going to comment. I don't think about can this guy play or not play. I just watch. You just enjoy the I game. just enjoy it. I'm not going to tweet, oh, this guy can't shoot. Yeah. I know what a guy can't shoot looks like. <laughs> He's sitting on the couch. <laughs> right. right. But, Jay, you've been extremely outspoken. And I am alumni and very heavily in, in, involved in my, in my college, University of Utah. And I've seen the way the game of collegiate sports has changed. But I've also seen the good and the bad. I mean, you, these kids are coming out where it doesn't matter what school they go to now. They can go Division One, they go Division One uh, AA, Division Two. Every school, to some degree, has a sponsorship by a by a shoe company, right? And I mean, I've seen some, and even some of the gear I get, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Backpacks, socks, shoes, jocks, underwears, T-shirts, uh, beanies, scarves. Yeah. Like now the mask yeah. that we have to wear, it, it even has the logo of the school. We both are a little bit long in the tooth on sports, but we both have been around it enough to see the metamorphosis of, of collegiate sports. Where do you believe, it, it, obviously in basketball, where do you believe collegiate sports is heading good and bad. Now I know journalistically, I, I, that was a, uh, that was a no, no. I asked you two questions. Double barrel, double barrel. But what do you think it is right now, Jay? Well, the way I view it, Steven, I got involved in this stuff on the policy side. When I was in college, I was a member of the NCAA's long range planning committee when I was a a player at Duke. So I spent two and a half years on that committee and the, the NCAA probably regrets having me on because I learned, how policy was made. And while at the time I had some pretty strong opinions in committee rooms, when the meeting was over, I didn't go out and voice my disagreement publicly because I didn't think that was appropriate. And I, and also you knew what got rewarded. So I wasn't going to step out of line, but now that in my job, my job's to, you know, not only analyze a game, but it's analyze the game and the policies that surround it and that drive it. And so my view is, College sports is no different than professional sports, except the only difference is that the players are enrolled in school. That is the only difference. It is sold the same way. It is marketed the same way. Um, The players, to your point about apparel contracts with the school, the players are unpaid billboards for sneaker companies. Yeah. And now when you were in the NFL, 
you were a paid billboard. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the NFL has an apparel deal uh, for, for a time. You were probably with Reebok and Nike, all these other things for, mm-hmm. for the uniforms and the gear. Uh, say with the, before you were with the Ravens, the Panthers, um, uh, you know, you were wearing Panthers gear and maybe it was Reebok logo it, on it and all that. With the Panthers it, at the time, I think it was in between Reebok and Nike. So Nike, Reebok, and Nike. Reebok had it first, Nike. But then my apparel deal, I was with Reebok for 10 and a half years. My own personal deal, I was with Reebok for 10 and a half years. And then I switched to Under Armour. Yeah, so you, right. So you wore your, you had a shoe deal so you could wear what you wanted on your feet. Correct. But when you were in NFL, um, in in your team activities, you wore your team issued gear that had the Reebok logo or the Nike logo, whatever it was at the time. Correct. So by virtue of the fact that you were, you were a paid employee of the Panthers, you know, you, you were a paid billboard for the NFL gear, and then you had your own deal for your shoe. And then on your off time, you were wearing Reebok or Under Armour, whatever it was at the time, right. and paid yep. by directly by the company. Mm-hmm. So the players now, people sometimes look to your point earlier about the amount of gear they get. Some people will look at, well, look at what the players get. Yeah, so it's a big And so they get more, more gear than we got when we played. Mm-hmm. Well, I look at it as what they're allowed. Like, it's not like the university says, well, here is a uh, here's a gift certificate to Dick Sporting Goods. Go get whatever you want. They don't say that. They issue them this gear and they have to wear it. Yep. They're not allowed to wear anything else because because the school is contracted to wear that. And in fact, when I was playing, you were playing in college. If we had covered up the logo on our on our shoes for a game. If we, they call that spatting, if we had taken tape and covered up the logo, mm. the university was required to give back money to the shoe company. Yep. We, we were unpaid billboards. And my thing is like the, 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 the contracts for media rights deals for television, uh, ancillary rights, internet, whatever. Um, all those are exactly the same NFL, college football, NBA college. They're exactly the same. Exactly. Uh, the only difference is is in what the players are allowed, and and so every once in a while when I say hey player college players are exploited, uh, people go oh I wish somebody would exploit me like that and I said no that's not uh, you're not taking that the right way, they're exploited in that somebody is using them to make money while at the same time limiting what they can make, that is the textbook definition of exploitation. Doesn't mean they're mistreated. It means they're exploited. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, if they're old enough to sell for billions of dollars, they're old enough to share in the revenue. And, and the NFL players, uh, NBA players, they have a union. They negotiate with the league and they're paid. A, uh, you know, they get a percentage of, of basketball related revenue, whatever that is. Uh, and people go, well, the NBA is a salary cap. Well, it's a lot different to say the players get a scholarship only. And boy, the you know the NBA players are limited to fifty one percent of basketball related revenue. That, that that's a you know, that's a pretty big difference in in treatment. So my thing is when people say, "Well, we don't want the college football to be a minor league for the NFL," you don't have to worry about that. It is not a minor league. Minor leagues don't make billions of dollars and have multi billion dollar television deals. College football and college basketball are major league sports. Mm-hmm. They're major league. They stand on their own. Now, what the players do afterwards, nobody says that college football and college basketball are minor league systems for coaches. 
So when a coach, when, when uh, Pete Carroll jumps from USC to the Seahawks, nobody said, well, college football shouldn't be a minor league for coaches. You know, they don't say that um, because it's major league and, and it should be major league for the players and they should be allowed to share in it because every other student uh, there, there's no restriction on what a normal student can earn or accept. Like uh, athletic scholarships aren't the only scholarships that are provided. Right. Regular students are on scholarship too. And yeah. nobody tells them, well, you get a scholarship, therefore you're limited to only that. Yeah. Only an athlete is told that. And I think that's wrong. I think it's about that time. Just uh, take a little breather. Cut to it. Cut to it. Let's get down to it. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But yeah, you can go on, buy you a T-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture, and a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jay, I know you you just said something around um, college players and them being essentially essential workers. Would you mind sharing your thought process around that? Yeah, it was I, I said it during the Duke Illinois game, and uh, I'd been hearing from a lot of coaches essentially saying privately, "What are we doing?" They, they, they're like, I, "I don't feel comfortable with this. This isn't. There's something wrong with this." 
So right now, college football players and college basketball players are living in isolation. They're in bubbles. Mm-hmm. And there, some, of, some of them uh, are living in hotels. Some programs have their entire teams in hotels, not on campus. And they're really only allowed out so that they can play. And it's a, it's a huge sacrifice for the players. But, um, uh, and they're tested every day when healthcare workers on their campus aren't tested at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're only tested if they get ill. So, you know, I don't think that, that we can even reasonably make a case that these aren't, these aren't professionals. They're, they're, they're professional players and they're revenue drivers for this multi-billion dollar business. Our government is telling us only to travel when it's essential. And our, our football and basketball teams are traveling all over the country. So by definition, it must be essential. And, uh, and look, I'm not comparing them in importance to, to true essential right. workers, but yeah. they're, they're being used as essential workers. You're using it as an example because there are yes. people who don't know yeah. what, that all this is going on they have for no- a college kid. Young man, <laughs> a college kid. I mean, you got kids, I hate to bring this up, but you got kids crying on the bench of basketball games. Mm-hmm. These are young, immature young men who are just trying to find their way. Mm-hmm. They are trying to just put it together. This jigsaw puzzle is not working. Yeah. How would that affect your cycle? Like, how would that affect your mental health with all of this going on? It's a big issue. Like, like what I find interesting are, are the rationalizations and excuses and, you know, like we're, we're, ga- we're grasping for these justifications to continue playing. So now what coaches are saying uh, is that, well, the players are safer uh, doing this than they would be if we let them go home for Christmas because none of them can go home. Nope. Uh, because because if they let them out of their isolation bubbles, they might come back with COVID or uh, you know they have to quarantine. They'll lose games and lose revenue opportunities. So they're 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 justifying this by saying, well, they're safer. Well, okay, if you if you believe that, there may be some truth in that. I'm not suggesting it's it's not. I would agree with some of that because of some of these young men and women are coming from the same type of places with health standards and some of that stuff that you, no you know, that, that they would receive at the college or professional level. But but yep. what what we what we're also saying when we say that that well look what we're doing for the players we really care about them we're keeping we're keeping the revenue drivers safe by having them continue to drive revenue isn't that convenient? But what we're also saying by extension is we don't care as much about the other sport athletes that we're letting go home. And we don't care about our regular students that we're sending home. Mm-hmm. Like the regular students aren't allowed to stay on campus anymore. Nope. And, and so, so we're, we're saying, well, we don't care as much about them. So the logic kind of falls down there. And look, I, it's not that I don't want us to play. What I'd like to see happen is that we, within the college space, have a national conversation. We've proven that we can play. The question is, should we? And, and I, I don't know the right answer to that. Uh, if this continues, if this pandemic in uh, this current surge that we're in continues to get worse, which the experts are telling us that it will, uh, based, upon, you know, based upon what metrics will we pause or will we adjust? Mm-hmm. And we haven't had that conversation, whether this is right. Because I'm telling you, while, while a few of the coaches are publicly saying, I think we need to press forward, there are a number of them privately saying, I don't feel right about this. I mean, I just came back from a game in Madison, Wisconsin, where there were probably 60 people overall, including the teams and staff in the building total. And, and, you know, we're there broadcasting the game 
it was like it was like being in a hospital setting. Hmm. And uh, and I, you know, I don't know the right I don't know the right answer. I'm not claiming I do. But one one thing I do know is we haven't had the right conversation around it. And we're just pressing forward to make money. This is all about money. And it's not like they're putting their paid employees at, at greater risk. But but, you know, the, the, the funny part is the paid employees go home to their families every night and the players are in isolation mm-hmm. and, and not able to see their families. And there's a there's something that that there's a contradiction there that is unsettling. And most of the public doesn't know about it, frankly, nor do they care. And, you know, I, I liken it a little bit to several years ago. I don't remember exactly the year, but you'll remember it, Steve, when, when the NFL and the uh, the NFL officials were arguing, you know, were fighting over over money. They're, I think it was the, the officials pensions. Correct. And so the officials were locked out and were, were watching games where the official, you know, the, the replacement officials sucked. And it was really it was really affecting the product. Yep. So I'm sitting at home, kind of like you were saying about your basketball viewing. I'm a I'm a football fan. I just don't know anything about it. I don't. I'm I'm a novice in it. I just enjoy the hell out of it. But I could tell that the product's being affected, and I didn't like it. So when when it was settled, uh, and I didn't care whether the officials got what they wanted, and whether it was fair. I had football back the way I wanted it, mm. and I think that's the way most fans look at basketball. They're like don't tell me about the players anymore. I don't care. I just want my games. And so they're getting their games now. It's not the way they're used to it, but they're getting them. And so they're saying, well, the players are fine or they, they want to play. And since when have we listened to what the players want, you know, but now if the players want something that we want, now we're listening to them. You know, the players want to play. Okay. Well, if there's lightning in the area, we're not asking the players if they want to stay out on the field and play. We're saying it's dangerous condition. Get off the field until it's safe. And, and we're not doing that now. We're not. Li- now it's listen to the players. But when the players say they want, to, they want to name, image, and likeness rights and they want money, we're not listening to them then. Then we're in court fighting it. I mean, I, I wish I could argue with you. <laughs> so much going with that. You know, it's, 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 it's tough. You know, people have asked me, you know, how would you feel if you had to play now? And I and, and I really struggle with that answer because I, I don't know. I mean, there are teams north of $10 million they've spent on testing, just on tests. I mean, they – guys are getting – they're either spitting in a vial or the – cotton swab up their nose every single day two three times they're tracked how far are you do you you know can't stand too close I mean guys are you know just talking to players guys are having meetings I don't know if you know this Jay but in the NFL guys are having meetings at home on their laptops or 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 iPads then after the meeting, they hop in their car and go to this facility. They grab lunch. They get dressed. They go on the practice field. After the practice field, I, be- I don't even think they're allowed to shower at home. They get there in their car, and they go back home, and they get back on their laptops, iPads, for meetings. Does that sound pretty normal no, to so you? That's not normal at all. I've said this jokingly, but if I see the dude that invented Zoom, I just want to hit him over the head. I am so tired <laughs> of Zoom. Yeah. 
Hey, you want to get on a Zoom call? You know what I really want? This is what I really want to say to people. You want to get on a Zoom call? No, I do not want to get on another freaking Zoom call. I'm so damn tired of Zoom. What do you see as the long-term effects of COVID for collegiate sports? We, Because we, we're all kind of talking about what's going on right now. What's, what, what could potentially be the long-term effects of this? Jay? We'll see some changes. I think one of the one of the changes we'll see is I think universities are and conferences are looking at their non-revenue sports saying, why are we flying uh, our field hockey team, the West Virginia field hockey team? Why, why are they flying to the University of Texas to play a field hockey game and flying them back? You know, shouldn't this be more regional in the way we go about this? Wouldn't that be smarter? And do we have to have every every team? on our campus play out of the same conference or can we have conferences that are, you know, have our football and basketball conferences that are making the money. And then the other sports play, you know, more uh, uh, regional, rational, smart schedules. So we'll see that it's definitely changing the media business. Um, I think we're going to see more games that are the lower rated games um, that'll be done from remote where you'll be sitting in a studio somewhere and doing the game and, you know, somebody like me might do a, a two or three games a day in different parts of the country. Uh, but, it, but I'll be in one location. Um, I do think once this is over, we will get back to more normalcy and how we uh, process the business. Um, but there will be, there will be changes and the changes will be because of money. Um, I, the one thing I, you know, I, I like, I think if you were just in broadcasting, so if you're a young broadcaster coming up in the business, being out on the road and going to practice and interacting with, with all the coaches and players that you're covering helps you build relationships and credibility. So right now I can do my job from remote because of the years that I've built up uh, with mm. relationships over the years. But if I were starting now, um, it, it would be really difficult to build a career uh, without being on site um, uh, as often. Uh, so that that's part of it. It's going to it's going to change the dynamic. Um, but as soon as we can go back to the, you know, the revenue sports, they're, they're going back to driving that revenue. We're, we're not quitting. Uh, multi-billion dollar businesses just don't fold up over stuff like this. It's not going to happen. And uh, to your earlier point and question, like I can tell you right now, just in the conduct of my job, uh, I feel conflicted. You know, I'm traveling around because of the games I do. Most of the games I've done have been in person. So uh, when I'm traveling, uh, you know, I feel conflicted about it. And uh, I'm doing it because it's my job. And, mm -hmm. and uh, not that I'm required to. I don't want to make it sound like that. But there are a lot, there's a lot riding on, these, on this business, a lot of people's livelihoods. And I'm a lot, I was careful before I'm paranoid careful now, because if I get this, I, I'm out for two weeks and everybody that has been around me is out for two weeks because of contact tracing. And so I'm not going to put anybody's livelihood at risk because I want to have a drink with a friend. I can, I can uh, lock myself down for several more months to get through this. Um, but it does, it does point up what the players are going through um, in their isolation. I mean, at least I'm going home every night. These players are not. So I don't blame any of these players that are opting out, uh, whether it be football or basketball, um, because th th this is heady stuff and serious stuff. And, uh, and it goes uh, further beyond I want to play. There's more at stake here. 
like I'll give you an example. I, I just did a game recently where uh, the coaches gave us a background on, look, here's what's been happening with our COVID stuff. This guy's been out because of COVID and all that. We'd appreciate if you didn't say that, but we wanted you to know why so that you had context for it. And, uh, and we found out uh, uh, probably 30 hours before the game that this one player is not going to play and we're not going to announce it until right before the game. So, you know, I was glad to know that and also glad to know, but I, they wouldn't have told me that over the phone. There's no way if I weren't there in person and it helped us manage the situation one on promoting the game and promoting the best player who's not going to play. Uh, we were able to, to deal with that. And then when, when it was okay for the news was no longer embargoed that the young man was not going to play because of COVID reasons, COVID protocols, then we were able to, um, to put it out there the right way. That was, uh, you know, HIPAA is okay for HIPAA rules and, and was respectful of the young man and, and, and the school and all that stuff. So being there was really helpful. And uh, uh, so it, it, it creates a lot of different problems, but, you know, it's just, look, they're just obstacles that you have to adapt to and overcome because uh, everybody's dealing with the same set of problems. Uh, we just have to handle it. Well, our, our last segment, Jay, is called the deep three. And so there are three questions that we ask that really takes us beyond who you are as an analyst, who you were as a college basketball player, really focusing in on, on you. So Smitty, give him the first question. If you were to write another book, what would it be on? Probably what it means to be um, a great teammate or a great colleague or great classmate that um, I think as I've gotten older, I like to think I was a pretty good teammate, but um, I, I think looking back, I could have been better. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd like to explore that a little bit more about what that really means about, you know, everybody talks about, you know, team first and all this stuff, but having a we first attitude and and when I think when for me, when I think about all of the people that helped me and that were influential to me, uh, whether it's coaches, teachers, uh, you name it, colleagues that I've worked with over the years. Um, one of the questions I've been asking myself is, am I being that person for somebody else? Like, am I being an influence that on someone else that's helping them? Uh, to be what they're going to be uh, going forward. And uh, I'd probably want to write about that. What's the best advice or quote that Coach K has given you? The, there were two things. One was uh, next play, that when, we, when I was in college playing for him, uh, he was always saying next play, that whatever happened, good or bad, if you made him turn the ball over, made a mistake, he didn't want you dwelling on the mistake because it took you out of, of playing the next play and even if you know if you got a steal and took it down for a dunk he didn't want you celebrating you know that last play make the next play and uh and that's been a trigger phrase for me ever since uh to the point where i say it to myself all the time now like i make a mistake or you know something doesn't go my way i'm like next play like focus myself on on the present and my father um was was kind of the same way um I had, uh, and, but he didn't say it the same way. Like I, I used to work for my dad during the summer. And one time I was loaded up with gear, you know, doing some roofing work with him. And I took a spill off a ladder and my dad was pretty pissed off about it. So he, he, after he found out I wasn't hurt, he told me, he goes, look, you can't get to the top of that ladder in one step, but you can get to the bottom in one step, concentrate on what you're doing. And I really started, I really thought about that, that, you know, what rung of that ladder was more important 
the most important and it's the one you're on and you can think about the top all you want to but if you don't handle the rung in front of you you know you'll be on your back at the bottom and uh and so i, I you know that and and then um he talked about a lot when i was a younger player about uh, he came into the locker room one time when we were playing a team that if we played halfway decent, we were going to drill them. And he said, this is the most important game on our schedule. And we kind of looked at him sideways in the scouting report going, the most important game, like this isn't Carolina. or you know. And he said, it's the most important game on our schedule because we're playing it and it's our next game. And everything we do is important. And if you want to play in championship games, you got to start treating every game like a championship game and prepare for it that way. And that way, when we are in a championship game, we don't have to do anything different. This is what we do. And, and I, I really thought about that. And it's really changed my perspective on, you know, my job as a broadcaster. Like when I first started, my games weren't, you know, highly rated, but the people that were watching it mattered to them. And so it better be, uh, and it mattered to the players. So it better be my best performance too. It didn't matter how many people were watching, whoever was watching, it was important. And I needed to treat it. I needed to treat it like a championship game. Hmm. That's pretty good. I was writing Real that good. down. Real good. What do you hope your legacy in the sports realm would be? I don't think about that um, because I, I think as soon as they kick me out or, or you know, I get fired or quit or whatever, um, that train's going to roll down the tracks as the, if I were never there. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not saying that out of false modesty. It's true. Yeah. And so what, what, I'm, what I focus on is um, am I being a positive – influence on my colleagues and the people I work with? Am I helpful to them? Uh, am I inspiring people uh, as best I can to where, like I was saying before, like I'm a good teammate, that it's not about me. And uh, if, if, I'm doing, if I'm doing my job and helping my colleagues do theirs, um, I'll, get, I'll get what I deserve out of it. Um, I, I don't need to go into it with this. I, I used to think about, well, how, how do I get ahead? How do I, how do I get where I want as opposed to how about you just do the job in front of you, like do the work today and, and do it to the best of your ability and make sure you're helping your teammates do it to the best of their ability. And, you know, I remember reading once about, uh, you know, the, the Patriots have a sign in their, uh, their locker room that says, do your job. And I think that's great. Like I want to, I want to do my job. But part of my job is helping my teammates do their job. And, uh, and if I'm doing that, then uh, all this legacy stuff takes care of itself. Because um, I, 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 I try not to think about, about the end. I try to think about today. If I, if I take each day and do what I'm supposed to do, I'll have a good result at the end, hopefully. are some positive changes you've had through the pandemic and then maybe some some negative changes as well i think they go hand in hand the negative and the positive mm. i think the reason that the positives have become positive because at some point i believe they were negatives right and and you know with the pandemic domestic violence is up mm. is up a ton and why is and in my household domestic violence does not exist However, there are some things that the pandemic has done in our household at times through those six or seven, eight, nine months that were good, but it, we had to 
iron out the wrinkles of the bad that turn into good. Communication, having better communication, talking about things, not sweeping it under the rug and walking around pissed off and 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 honoring and angry with each other, uh, whether it be the kids with a wife or vice versa, whatever the case may be. Um, so, I, I I really think that in this time, for me, what is really shown, and I think a lot of a lot of couples are seeing this is, it's showing your blind spot. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's showing your blind spot in your parenting. It's showing your blind your spot in your career. Yeah. It's showing a blind spot in your relationships with other men and women, mm-hmm. uh, with friends. And when I say other men and women, is it's showing a blind spot. Is this man that is another man? Are we as tight of friends as we believe? Yeah. Uh, girlfriends, is this, you know, <clears throat> how are these mothers able to? be mothers, but at the same time also have their individuality, right? Uh, outside of being a mom, outside of uh, cooking, cleaning, and taking care of the kids, uh, the husband, all of those things. Yeah. And so I think the pandemic is really, show, again, like I said, the blind spots of whatever area you're in, whatever corporation you work for, whatever business you are associated, it really makes that blind spot bigger. Or it shrinks it down to where are you healthy enough to know your blind spot and then address it, address it in a way that's not that that it does not cause more chaos. Yeah, I'm I'm vibing with you on the the positives and negatives, because one thing I evaluated in myself has been through this pandemic prior to it. How many things you would do that would just wear you down over time? Mm. Am I taking a meeting that I really don't need to? Am, am I doing something that um, is, is in my mind, really slowing me down mm. when you thought that it was actually making you better? So it's really shifted the way that, that I've worked to where <laughs> there are certain times we, we would have conversations. Is, I mean, how is, is some of that stuff? Is have, that, have well, me, how many? Just have period? Me, you, <laughs> no, how many arguments have me and you had yeah. about that very yeah, thing? You so said how many lunches. Thing, yeah, so how many things? Or just, or just even not even a, a, a lunch or a meeting or I, I want to say uh, panels, like yeah. all those different little just yeah, yeah, yeah. things that people used to do that for the most part are just a waste of your time. And then when you go back and look at am I being the best husband, the best yeah. father? Am I being present with my kids? Am I being present with my wife? Am I being present with, you just hit on a good one. Am I being present even with my friends? Like yeah. one thing that it's done, even just last week, I called you. Hey, I don't want anything. But how quick we typically are to just be transactional. Mm-hmm. What, what's the checklist? What do we need to get done? Yeah. Man, I'm just calling you. What, yeah. like, like what's going on? So it has forced us to be, I think what I'm hearing from you is a bit more intentional. Yeah. No, a lot more intentional. So more, more intentional. And then just looking at, I, I love what you said, with the blind spots. Like how am I taking that, not just how you work, not just um, what you do, but really holistically, how how am I working better as a person? Thank you for listening. Um, closing out on every podcast moving forward. You can say it with me or you can just listen. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut to it with Steve Smith Sr. That is me. 
is a production of Cut To It, LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media manager Peyton Smith, from Balto Creative Media. Cut to it is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Lebrecht. Production manager Sarah Pollock. Theme music by Alex Johnson. Lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's all. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.